Well, thank you very much, Rich, for reading. Um, for those of you who haven't met me, I'm Matt. I'm a member of church family here, and let me add my welcome to you and, and everyone on the live stream as well. And do keep your Bible open. Um, it'll be really important as we look at God's Word together. And um, if you've got little talk notes as well, that'll show you where we're going. Well, we are in our third um, uh, talk today, looking at the uh, songs of the servant. We've been learning over the past couple of weeks about what God's servant brings. We've seen that he brings justice and righteousness. And last week we saw that he will bring salvation, not just for Israel, but for all people. But... Today we're going to learn what the experience of the servant is as he brings that righteousness and justice. And we will learn as well what the experience will be for us if we are to be faithful to God's servant, if we are to witness to his salvation and become a servant of the servant. And it's actually quite a surprising experience. Look with me at verse 10 of our passage. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of the servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Did you see that for those who are fearing the Lord and obeying the voice of his servant, it will feel like walking in darkness, like walking without light. And actually, verse 11 says the opposite truth. It says, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. It says that those who are rejecting God's light and walking in their own light, well, they will suffer eternal torment. You see, God's people, this is written to God's people in the Old Testament who are facing a choice. They're facing a choice between do they trust in the mighty Babylonians, the mighty Assyrians, the gods around them, the idols, the armies, or do they trust in God, the God of the Bible, even though that looks like weakness and darkness at times? And it's a choice that we face as well. Could we have the picture? For us, sometimes it will feel like following Jesus is on that left-hand side, feeling like utter darkness with just a little bit of light. We know there's some light in the gospel, but it feels a long way away. And on the flip side, we are tempted to turn away from that light, to light our own lights, our own torches, and walk in our own wisdom, our own ways, our own understanding. And today's passage is going to encourage us to live in that darkness, and to live as true um, as servants of the servant, and we're going to do that by learning about the servant himself and his obedience. So that's why this talk is called True Obedience. So where does that obedience start? Well, if you go to verse four, we learn the secret of it. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, my, he, awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Do you see where the, the servant's obedience starts? It starts by listening to God's word. 
See, the Lord God has given him a word. This isn't a word the servant's come up with by himself. He's not heard this by standing in the Babylonian courts and and hearing what they've said. No, he's listened to the Lord God. And importantly, he's listened morning by morning. It's the discipline of daily listening to God's word. Every day he comes to his God to hear what his God says. It's not an occasional church visit. It's not a random dip into the Bible to see what verse we find today. It's not a a one-off revelation that he gets. This is the careful, disciplined, intentional practice of listening to God's word. And as he does that, do you see what God does? God gives him a tongue. He gives him a word so that he can sustain the weary. God awakens him morning by morning. He awakens his ear. That word awakens means arouse. It's the same word, actually, as the word sustain. So if the servant is going to sustain the weary, he needs to be sustained himself. He needs to be aroused and awakened in God's word. As one commentator said, behind the word that sustains and explaining it lies the discipline of daily hearing. Well, we know that this was completely true of the Lord Jesus, wasn't it? God's servant. After all, he took time away regularly in the Bible to spend alone with his father. He knows his Old Testament inside out. He quotes from it, and he knows not just the words, but the meaning behind it, often correcting those who misuse it. In fact, when he goes to Nazareth, the synagogue, he picks up the scroll, this very scroll of Isaiah, and announces that he is the fulfillment of these words. We see the Lord, uh, sorry, we see Jesus, the Lord's servant, starts his ministry by listening to God's word. And that's what empowers his obedience throughout his life, daily coming to the word. So can I encourage you, keep coming to God's word. If we want to be obedient to the Lord, if we want to be servants of the servant, we need to start in God's word. That means having your quiet times, opening your Bible in the morning or in the afternoon, whenever it suits, but coming daily. Having your family Bible times, what could be more important together as a family than coming together around God's word, as Elf was telling us today in the children's slot? That means be thinking about God's word. Don't just shut the Bible and put it away. Let's be thinking about it, pondering it, meditating upon it. Let's be telling it to each other. You know, tell it to your, your housemates, your, your family, your colleagues, your friends. In fact, I would love it if you text me tomorrow morning telling me an encouragement you've read from the Bible. Let's start by listening to God's word. But we see obedience, once it listens to God's word, it doesn't stop there. And that brings us to our second point. It's in verse 5 and 6. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. 
You see, the servant has a choice here. He hears God's word, and will he be obedient to it, or will he turn away from it and turn his back to it? Well, no, he is obedient to it, knowing that that is going to lead to disgrace. And that's our second point here, that the servant, his true obedience, embraces disgrace. Do you see that in verse 6? He gives his back to those who strike. That is, um, that was the judicial punishment in the Old Testament. So for someone who'd broken a law, they would be flogged and beaten. You see, he gives his cheek to those who pull out the beard. And he doesn't hide his face from disgrace and spitting. He, he openly embraces and takes on humiliation and shame in society. He's disrespected by people. Now compare this to the, the Old Testament people of Israel. They heard God's word too, but they were disobedient. They turned away and wanted to live as the world likes in the comfort that was around them, not in the, dis- in the disgrace and suffering of following God's word. And it's not a, um, a disgrace for his own disobedience. No, the servant is perfectly obedient here. In fact, his obedience leads to disgrace. Well, it's really clear, isn't it, how this is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. He who says in Mark chapter 10, if we could have the verse up, says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Do you see there, Jesus really picks up that imagery of Isaiah 50, the spitting, the disgrace, the flogging, the beating. The Lord Jesus doesn't turn his back away from the disgrace. In fact, he he turns towards it. He's going up towards Jerusalem to embrace that disgrace. Now, in Isaiah 50, we're not told why the servant suffers. We're just told that he knows he will suffer, and he does. There is a a reason behind his suffering, and and we will see it wonderfully next week in Isaiah 53, the climax um, of these suffering servant songs, as we learn why Jesus' suffering um, brings salvation. But for now, we just need to know that if we are faithful to God's servant... That means embracing disgrace. It means that we will have rejection. It will feel like walking in darkness and loneliness. And Jesus says in in Mark 8, he says that if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we are to be servants of the servants, we are to embrace that disgrace just like Jesus embraced. And it's, it's, this verse is an encouragement. It's an encouragement to the faithful people in the Old Testament to keep living in that disgrace, in that darkness. Don't be tempted to wander over to the Babylonian side. Don't be tempted to go to their big armies and their fancy gods. Stay with the God of the Bible. 
It's an encouragement to us too that if we are walking and it feels like darkness following the Lord Jesus, and keep going, that was the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. If we are suffering for his sake, well, he suffered for our sake. If we are being rejected and ignored by friends, family, colleagues, well, that was the experience of the Lord Jesus, rejected by his own friends and family and people. We see the servant's obedience embraces disgrace. Now, that sounds pretty tough, hard and tough. How are we going to be able to do that? We're, we're certainly not going to be able to do that just by willing ourselves up and trying really hard. Well, wonderfully, we see in, in the rest of our passage the reason why Jesus was empowered to embrace this disgrace and remain obedient. So look at, look at verse 7 with me. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. This brings us to our third point today, that true obedience trusts in the Lord God for his help. Do you see that in verse 7? He trusts in the Lord God. Now, you'll see God is sort of capitalized with small caps. So that means uh, it's the name Yahweh Elohim in um, the Hebrew. Which Now, Yahweh was God's personal covenant name. It was a sign of his faithfulness to his people, of his steadfast love, of his never-ending commitment to be with his people. Even in this disgrace that the servant is suffering, God is with his people. And the word Elohim is the word for mighty God, powerful God, creator God, sovereign God. It's a sign that although there might be these, these gods and idols of other nations around them, there is only one true God. And that is the God of the Bible. That is the God in whom the servant trusts. The steadfast, covenant-loving, faithful, sovereign, powerful, almighty God. And therefore, he's not been disgraced. He's not trusting in lifeless idols. He's not trusting in dead philosophy. He's trusting in the living, powerful, faithful God. And do you see where his help is? In verse 8, he says, He who vindicates me is near. Well, vindicate is a legal word. It's a word for, for someone declaring someone right. It's sort of the same word for justify or perhaps acquit. He trusts that God will vindicate him. See, his help isn't that he will avoid persecution and suffering, and disgrace. Now his help is that God will declare that his suffering and disgrace was not for his own sake. God will vindicate him as righteous. God will vindicate him as faithful. He looks forward to God's judgment. He, he, he doesn't base his experience of what people are saying around him. 
He bases his obedience of God's future judgment when God will declare him righteous, him perfect. And do you see what God will say about the, um, the persecutors at the end of verse 9? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment, like a moth that will eat them up. They'll be like that T-shirt you find at the back of your cupboard that's completely moth-eaten and holes everywhere, frayed fabric, not fit for anything. They might look strong, they might look powerful now, but God will declare that they are in the wrong and that his servant is in the right. And this is the language that Paul picks up in a famous passage in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8.31, and Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, that's vindicates. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. See, Paul says in, in, in verse 36 that the experience of being a Christian feels like a sheep going to slaughter. It feels like that darkness that we had in Isaiah 50. And yet, he says, it is, who, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who vindicates. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Paul's hope was also in God's judgment, in God's vindication, even when it felt like a sheep going to slaughter. It's an encouragement to us. If we are walking in that darkness, if it all feels just too hard following the Lord Jesus, being obedient to his words, it's the encouragement to keep looking to that future day, that future vindication that will come when God will declare his people faithful for following him, when he will take them to glory and he will declare that those who have rejected him and walked in their own light are, are destined to suffer punishment. And we know the, the Lord Jesus himself was vindicated, wasn't he? His suffering led to the cross where he died at a shameful and disgraced death, cursed by God and, and um, cast out by humans. And yet three days later, the Lord God raised him back to life. Not just raised him to life, but he ascended into heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne. That was God vindicating the Lord Jesus. He is faithful. He is the true servant. So that leaves us with a challenge, doesn't it? It leaves us with the challenge of verse 10 and 11 where we started this morning. Are we going to fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant? 
It will feel like darkness. It will feel like walking in no light. But we're called to trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Lines down, are we going to trust in this God, the God of the Bible, the God who vindicated his servant Jesus and will vindicate his people? Or are we going to trust in the world, in the light of the world, the comfort it looks like it brings? Well, verse 11 gives us that destination, doesn't it? He says, those who, who reject that will end up in torment. It's a call to us, where is our faith? Where is our trust? If we're going to be obedient, we must be putting our faith and our trust in God and not in the world. It's the call between genuine faith and desperate faithfulness. Well, it's it's a challenging passage. It's a challenging call. I know I've been challenged as I've studied it. But the great news, isn't it, is that we look to one. We look to the perfect servant who has fulfilled this. We look to the Lord Jesus, who suffered in our place, embraced disgrace with every step that he took, and yet is now vindicated, seated at the right hand of God. So as we live out as servants of the servants, let's keep looking to the Lord Jesus, to that perfect servant, keep following his pattern of life and knowing that he is our hope. Let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the true obedience of your servant. We praise you for how he embraced disgrace willingly for us. Uh, We praise you, Father, that his his hope and his trust was always in you and never in the world. Father, thank you that through his suffering that we are now your people. And we pray that you would empower us in this true obedience. You would empower us to embrace disgrace for your sake and that we would put our trust in you and not in the world around us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.